on the virtual Bible study tonight, we want to talk about interpreting the Bible. We're going to talk about a, a particular uh, necessary thing when it comes to biblical interpretation. That is understanding figurative language. Uh, and sometimes if you don't do that, you can get really sort of crossed up in your understanding of what the Bible is really conveying. So we want to talk about how the Bible uses figurative language tonight. It should be a very important discussion, and we're looking forward to starting it right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 three one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you into the virtual bible study for thursday september 19th 2019 thank you for joining us on the program tonight my name is jacob Gwynn. my father greg Gwynn is here hello dad jacob great to be with you tonight good to be with you kyle's behind the controls welcome back kyle glad that you're here it's good to be here and uh, we're glad that you're with us tonight and we look forward to hearing from you uh, the number was just, just given, uh, and sign in with the other listeners in the chat room tonight and share your comments there. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you. And send us an email anytime, questions at collegeview.com. That's for those of you especially who are listening in the recorded version. Uh, you'll want to uh, share your comments with us there. Uh, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We're going to talk about, uh, well, first of all, before we do that, we remind you that uh, we can get you a bumper sticker if you help us advertise uh, the Virtual Bible Study. We'd like you to share our information on Facebook, uh, the Virtual Bible Study on Facebook, and uh, um, do your your part to help us get the word spread about the Virtual Bible Study. We appreciate that very much. And remember that you can get on our email update list by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Now. Before we go any farther, less than a month from now, special event coming up. Yeah, we'll start talking about this briefly, and we'll talk more as we get closer. We're going to have a gospel meeting here at College U beginning Sunday, October 13th. It'll run through Friday night, October 18th, <coughs> and we'll have different speakers each day, and I think it'll be really good. Uh, and if you're close by to College, uh, Columbia, Tennessee. We hope you come and join us at College View. Mark the calendar dates, October 13th through 18th. We'll be able to find more information on our website here shortly. Yeah, we don't have it up yet, but we will soon. Okay. And, um, well, Kyle, we might be doing all the talking tonight. <laughs> yeah, I've, been, I've, I've had a frog in my throat all week, so I hope that doesn't uh, get too bad tonight. So this is a problem that we're talking about tonight. A lot of folks uh, have trouble uh, and we can have trouble if we don't understand figurative language how and how it's used in the bible it can cause us a lot of problems yeah and we're going to show a lot of examples to our update list today i sent out a list of i don't even know how many different kinds of figures of speech that are used in the bible but not exclusive to the bible we use figures of speech every day i mean many many times uh, a day we use figures of speech for various purposes to convey information. We do that for the purpose of conveying a certain thought, 
maybe to emphasize something that we're saying uh, or to illustrate something that we're saying. We use figures of speech a lot. And uh, so there, it shouldn't be too surprising to us to know that that sort of language is used in the Bible as well. It's just a, a, a very basic form of human language communication. Your, uh, your update email this afternoon sort of brought back bad memories of high school English class. So oh, yeah. a lot of uh, those yeah. terms, because we're talking about language, and the Bible yeah. is, yeah. is using language uh, well, I, that we I, use every day. We won't read the whole list, but things like simile and allegory and uh, metonymy and hyperbole. Uh, I mean, th- those are things that you do find in English class. But the Bible is written in human language so that we can comprehend. And, and so we should not be surprised to find figurative language. Now, what that means is we have to be perceptive of it. We have to be keen to pick up on the figures of speech that are being used and not try to... The, the big problem is when you try to force a literal interpretation on a thing that was meant to be figurative in nature. And people do that with the Bible and, and a lot of... Uh, erroneous conclusions are reached because of that. So we got to just, it's just, it's just, this is just one aspect of proper biblical interpretation and understanding. And we, we need to be aware of it. And that's all we intend to do with our lesson tonight is to show the Bible speaks to us in these ways. Okay. Uh, so it's going to be an important uh, discussion here. 877-381-4567 is the number to call to have your voice heard tonight on the program. All right, so we're just going to start down through this list. Let me count how many I've got here. And and, and I had an email uh, today that said there's probably other forms and I, I, uh, of figures of speech. Uh, one one emailer talked about mirrorisms. It's not in my list. I had to actually look up what is a mirrorism. Uh, uh, but here's the ones that I listed, and I think I can show, and we can show, Bible examples of simile, similitude. Metaphor, allegory, metonymy, synecdoche, irony, sarcasm, hyperbole, personification, paranomasia. I'm not sure I'm saying that. I have oh to look boy. at that. Anthropomorphism, paradox, parable, and prolepsis. Uh, so we're just going to illustrate all those different kinds were, of figures of speech. I thought you had started speaking in tongues medical there school. for a minute. Sound like medical school. Yeah. So. Okay. Uh, and then at the end, what we want to do is we want to discuss some ways that help us to know when such figures of speech are being employed, okay. some rules of interpretation. All right. So we'll, we'll try to balance our discussion on both parts of that. But let's just start in by talking about a figure of speech used in the Bible, and that is a simile. And a simile is a comparison in which anything is likened to something else, and the and the comparison uses the words as or like. Uh, for instance, you might talk about someone who is very stingy with their money. And I know I, 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 people may not use this in all parts of the country, but sometimes here we talk about that guy's as tight as bark on a tree. Mm-hmm. As, tight as, bark on a tree. Uh, when you hear that word as or like, you can be pretty well aware that a simile is being employed. Peter did this, First Peter 1, verse 24, for all grass is, excuse me, for all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. 
Um, Jesus used this when he described the Pharisees. He says, Woe unto, this is Matthew 23, verse 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So notice, and this is a pretty easy way to pick up on a simile. When you see the comparison uses the words as or like, you're pretty sure you got a simile there. Okay. Uh, so uh, just be aware of that. And, and that's what's going on there. I don't know that you uh, could get into any kind of trouble if you didn't understand. I think that's pretty obvious, but... Uh uh, certainly that's what's happening there in, yeah. in that language, type of language. And uh, we have some emails here. Chris is from the U.K. He He's, uh, again, from uh, United Kingdom. He says, I apologize if my English culture le- leads me to get any of these wrong, but here goes. Um, give the definition. Uh, he says, um, a figure of speech is an expression of which the meaning cannot be gained solely by def- the definitions of the individual words involved. If a golfer has nailed a put on the green... He hasn't done any handiwork there with a hammer. It means he did a good job of getting it's the ball. It's figure of speech. Exactly right. Uh, so simile, he said, is the liking of one thing or another. Woe unto you, scribes. Uh, he used the same one I used, yeah, well, uh, yeah. Matthew twenty three twenty seven. Whited tombs, that's right. He so, said the Pharisees were like whited tombs. So that's exactly simile. Kent says it's a word or phrase by which anything is likened to one of its as in one of its aspects to another. So likening one thing to another. And, and that, that Jesus said the Pharisees are like whited sepulchers in, in the sense that they look good on the outside and they were corrupt on the inside. Just like a tomb looked good on the outside but had corruption, dead men's bones inside. That's the simile. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Now, the next one is is sounds almost the same. And it is effectively the same, a similitude. A similitude is a simile that is drawn out. In other words, it's, it's the same sort of thing, but it's drawn out in longer explanation. I'll give you an example of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, very famously at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, beginning verse 24, Jesus said, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him... And to a wise man which built his house on a rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So that's a lot longer. You know, that's not, Jesus said, when he used a simile, he said, you Pharisees are like white sepulchers. Boom. Short statement. But here, he said, if you hear and do my commandments, you're like unto, like unto a wise man that built his house on the rock. And if you hear these sayings of mine and do them not, you're like unto a foolish man that built his house on the sand. And I mean, it, it, the, the explanation went much longer. And that's just pretty much the, the, the distinction between a simile and a similitude. All right. In the chat room, Jared uh, references a simile in uh, Psalm uh, 1, verse 3, the man who... Uh, meditates on God's law. His delight is in the law of the Lord. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. See, see the key word there, like. He is like a tree planted by the water. Right, Sim- and, we, Sim- and it Simile. helps us to understand yeah. uh, that person's life, what it's going to be like. It's going to yeah. be that uh, that fruitful life. So we got a couple of easy ones out of the way. Simile and similitude. How about one more before our break? A metaphor. Now you hear people use the expre- you hear people say, "Oh, that's a metaphor." 
and and we do use metaphors alike um, a, a lot in our our daily life. A metaphor is a comparison reduced to a single word expressing similarity without signs of comparison. In other words, it's not like you don't use like or as you just use the word. Uh, here's I'm, I'm, you might say about a guy uh, that guy is a clown. Well, he's not literally a clown. And he's not, you could say, if you were going to say it in a simile, you would say, that guy is like a clown. That'd be a simile. But if you're going to use a metaphor, you just say, that guy is a clown. Or in a more more complimentary way, you could talk about some lady and say, she's a jewel. She, uh, that would be a metaphor. Uh, so the metaphor says, instead of saying that someone is like or as, it says that person is. Um, Jesus used a metaphor when he described Herod in in uh, Matthew, or excuse me, Luke 13, beginning verse 31. The same day there came certain of the Pharisees saying unto him, Get thee out, depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. And he, Jesus, said unto them, Go ye and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Now, notice he 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 just said Herod is a fox. He didn't say Herod is like a fox. Uh, so the, the simile, the metaphor, is a more powerful figure of speech than the simile. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be as strong as he. Oh, that Herod, he's like a fox. Well, you could say that. It would have been accurate. But but the metaphor is more powerful when he said, "Go tell that fox." No, Herod is a fox. So, uh, and by the way, maybe much more appropriately and meaningfully, Jesus used metaphor when he established the Lord's Supper in Matthew twenty six, beginning verse twenty six. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, "Take eat. This is my body." And he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so that's a metaphor. Um, you know, sometimes we hear folks who have some objection uh, when when we're at the Lord's table. Uh, it's not uncommon to hear people say, I don't like using the expression, this bread which represents Christ's body. Because the the scripture says this bread is his body. The, the, the fruit of the vine is his blood. But the problem, it's just figure of speech. Jesus didn't mean, and, and by the way, our Catholic friends have taken this to a whole other level when they teach the doctrine of transubstantiation. The bread is his body. It literally becomes his body. No, Jesus was using a figure of speech there. He was using a very common figure called a metaphor. Okay. Absolutely. Um, here's one that Jared sub, uh, supplied in the chat room. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 14. The mouth of a forbidden woman is a deep pit. He who, with whom the Lord is angry will fall into it. So her mouth is a deep pit. He didn't say it's like a deep pit. He said it is a deep pit. Yep. That's a metaphor. All right. And uh, I've missed a couple comments here from uh, Chris in the U.K., uh, he says, uh, he, back to similitude, he says, I think this is a statement or question that is essentially a moot point. One seemed to be uh, obvious and not needing an answer. No one lights a lamp and hides it in clay or jar, puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand 
so that those who come in can see the light. Luke 8, verse uh, yeah, 7, I, know. 6. That, I think we're a little different in that meaning, Chris. I'm not sure about that. That may be how you guys define it in England, but that's, I don't think that's how we would define a similitude. And, and uh, Kent says it is an extended simile. It's such uh, differs from an allegory in that it is co- uh, constituted of similes and not metaphors. Okay. He said the metaphor is a short similitude, a similitude reduced to a single word without signs of comparison. comparison. Right, right. And uh, Chris in the UK, a metaphor is an implied comparison of one thing to another, more direct than a simile, leaving out the word use of such words as like. like or exactly. All right, and it is uh, time for a break. When we get a break, uh, when we get back from the break, we'll continue the discussion. Uh, some more things to think about. Now, as we're explaining these, there we're getting to the point here at toward the end of the discussion is we've got to understand these figures of speech so that we can interpret the Bible correctly. And we'll start. Yeah. We'll talk about that. And, we, and we want to lay those rules out as we get into our study All at right. the end of our study. All right, don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. I'm Joel Gwynn, a member of the College View Church of Christ with something for you to think about regarding our children. A survey published in the periodical Pulpit Helps analyzed the question of faithfulness among the children of churchgoers. The results are interesting. It was found that faithfulness in kids was not a function of the size of the congregation, the number of classes and special programs sponsored by the church, the effectiveness of the youth minister. Instead, here is what was discovered. In cases where both parents were faithful, and active, 93% of their children remained faithful to their religious training. When only one parent was faithful and active, the percentage dropped to 73%. When parents were only reasonably active, attended services, but that's all, their kids remained faithful only 53% of the time. And finally, when the parents attended assemblies only infrequently, the children endured at a mere 6% level. The results of this survey are interesting, but not terribly surprising. We've known all along that people, including children, often learn more from example than from the words they hear. That's why Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5:16. Parents, have you considered applying Jesus' concept right there in your own home? Are you letting your light shine before your kids? Survey results. Our own common sense and the Bible tells us that this is the only hope that we have to bring them up fearing God. Here's some quotes worth pondering. It's not who's right, but what's right that is important. If everyone who demanded their rights also observed the rights of others, the world would be a better place. Casting blame on others is often the sign of a guilty conscience. We all need someone who will urge us on to do what we are capable of doing. Winston Churchill said, Courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. The father who does not teach his son his duties is equally guilty with the son who neglects them. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program as we talk about figures of speech in the Bible and uh, learning how those figures of speech are used so that we can interpret the Bible correctly. Yeah, and I, I, to me, it's just kind of interesting. I, you mentioned earlier, Jacob, English class in school. I was not a great English teacher. I mean, an English student. I certainly wasn't an English teacher, but I, I wasn't a great English student. But now I find it more interesting, you know, uh, to, to consider some of these principles of language. You know, I, 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 I've tried through the years to learn a couple foreign languages. I made several trips to Russia, and I tried to learn some Russian. I made some trips to Cuba, and I tried to learn some Spanish. 
And my problem was, you know, you go to these classes and, and the teacher would say, now, in this is the, in, in Spanish, this is the equivalent of this in English. Well, I never understood that in English, so I certainly can't understand it in a foreign language, you know. Uh, but I do find it interesting how the Bible uses figures of speech, figurative language, the same way we do. How about you, Kyle? Were you a big English guy? I would hate to anyone to see my uh, my transcripts from high school. I was, uh, <laughs> I was a terrible. I set some. Uh, I had some records for the some of the worst uh, English. So you classes. got you got some records in English, but not necessarily the good ones. No, huh? no, no. I yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Let's get, let's grab this next one. And I think this is a figure of speech that people have heard. An allegory. Mm-hmm. An allegory is a figurative application of a story or a narrative. The principal subject is. Described by another subject which resembles it in properties and circumstances. Now, there's a place in the New Testament you might remember that in the King James Version actually talks of an allegory. Galatians 4, verse 21, it is written that Abram had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. Now, this is a longer reading. I'm skipping part of it. He says, but Paul goes on to say, which things are an allegory, for these are two covenants. Uh, now we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. So then brethren, we are not the children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So he said, Abraham having children by Sarah and by the, by his bond servant Hagar, he said, that's an allegory. Paul, Paul said, in other words, that's a comparison to those of us who are, uh, uh, the children of promise versus Otherwise, and so that that's a pretty difficult text there in Galatians four. But Paul actually says that God was employing the concept of allegory. Now, let me give you a better example, maybe an easier one to understand. In in Psalm eighty verse eight, the psalmist says, "Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt; thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it." All right, so. Well, if and we know that he was uh, the vine that he brought out of Egypt was Israel. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. You cast out the heathen and you planted it in the promised land, right? Well, he he doesn't identify that. Uh, notice uh, the vine is Israel, but the principal subject is never mentioned. Israel's not mentioned there. Now he could have he could have used a simile. If if he used a simile, he would have said Israel is like a vine brought from Egypt and planted in, in Canaan. That would be a simile. Simile. He could have used a metaphor. He could have said Israel is a vine. If it was a simile, Israel is like a vine. If it was a metaphor, Israel is a vine brought out of Egypt and planted in Canaan. But in an allegory, the the subject is not named. The meaning, the, the what's intended, the principal subject is described, uh, but not named. God, this is allegory. Then God brought a vine out of Egypt and planted it in Canaan. So you could do it with different figures, and they all have sort of different shades of meaning. Uh, the metaphor is very strong and direct. The simile uses like or as, but the allegory compares. Is a comparison in which the principal subject not many times not even named. Okay, 
that's uh, well, that's what uh, Chris says. These, where one story is used to illustrate another one or point. Pilgrim's Progress being a famous one. Okay, the, the, yeah, the novel itself. And he said the accounts of Isaac and Hagar is using the letter uh, to the Galatians. Yeah, uh, Galatians 4, beginning verse 21. All right. Uh, Kent says that an allegory is a figurative sentence or discourse where the principal subject is described by another subject resembling its properties and circumstances. Yeah. And here's one from... Uh, um, Jared in the chat room. Jared says an allegory is an extended metaphor. Ecclesiastes 12.1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw nigh when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain and the day when the uh, keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. And then he goes on to just a longer yeah. passage, clear through verse 12 yeah, there right. of Ecclesiastes 12, and, and, and which is an allegory. In other words, he's, he never says that he's talking about a man growing old, but he gives characteristics of these things like uh, uh, looking through a, 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 a foggy glass uh, and so forth. The sound, sound of the grinding. Sound of the, the teeth are gone. And so that's an allegory. It's an extended metaphor. But the subject that's being described is actually never even identified. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Jared. Good, Jared. That's really good. All right. So the next one I think is really an important one for us to understand, and that is metonymy. We want to talk about metonymy. Uh, Metonymy is a figure of speech where the name of one thing is exchanged for that of another because of the relationship between the two. Um, And the reason why this is important is uh, because, especially because of some false teaching that is done concerning the Lord's Supper. In, In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, Paul said, As off as you eat this bread and drink this cup... You do show the Lord's death till he comes. How do you drink a cup? Uh, do, you, do you take a hammer and smash it up and pulverize it and then mix it up with water and drink it? Uh, no, I don't no. think so. No, that's metaphor. The cup is used to represent the contents of the contents of the cup is what you drink. You don't drink the cup, you drink contents of the cup. But the two are so closely related to one that you could name the one in the place of the other. Yep. Uh, and so a metaphor, the name of one thing is exchanged for that of another because of the relationship between the two of them. Okay. Uh, and that's really important. You know, and, and we've talked before uh, uh, on the Virtual Bible Study about the one cup question. There are some folks who are pretty adamant that when we observe the Lord's Supper, we should all drink from just one cup, one container, instead of multiple, instead of multiple drinking vessels. You can get back in our archives and, and find past programs uh, where we've dealt with that. But the, the, the misunderstanding is the misunderstanding of the principle of metonymy in that one cup position. Kent says a figure of speech where the use of the name of one thing is used for that of another. And Chris in the U.K. says the substitution of one thing when speaking of another, like the president for the White House. Yeah, this, that's a perfect example, Chris. Uh, today, the White House announced that, you know, we're imposing tariffs on China. The White House can't speak. How did it announce that? Well, the White House is 
so closely connected to the president that that's just a figure of speech that is used to say the president announced tariffs on China. He references First Chronicles 17, verse 2. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. Okay. So Jesus was to build a house and to have a throne. But, the, of course, that's figurative because he, didn't, he never built an actual house and never sat on a literal throne. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, I hope I hope uh, that our listeners are enjoying this, this, this sort of this passing through different Bible passages where we see figures. Our, our point is a very simple one. Figures of speech, they're everywhere. They are in our language, in our daily language. They are all throughout the Bible. Uh, the next one, and you got to be this. I, I think I'm. There's. I hear this pronounced different ways, but I think the proper pronunciation is synecdoche. S y n e c d o c h e synecdoche. Uh, sometimes I hear people pronounce it synecdoche, and I don't think uh, that may be an, uh, an acceptable alter pronunciation. But the best of my knowledge, it should be synecdoche. And that's when something more or less is put for the precise thing meant. The whole is put for the part, or the part is put for the whole. For instance, Luke 2, verse 1, at the time of Jesus' birth, it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Well... The Romans were the powerful empire of the day, but they didn't control the whole world. They didn't tax the whole world, but they but they they had such a significant hold on the world that they could say the all the world. That that that's a figure of speech, uh, in, in which a part is put for the whole, or a whole is put for the part. Jesus used that figure when he told uh, his disciples in Mark sixteen verse fifteen, "Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to." Every creature, every creature. Well, when's the last time we've been out preaching to the cows and the uh, and the giraffes? You know, well that that that's synecdoche. Okay, all right. Uh, uh, what do we got here for? Yeah. Uh, so Chris in the UK says I may be wrong, but I think it's like a mirrorism, which is the use of two or more things to act as boundaries and encompass all that is in between, like heavens and earth, meaning all created things. Blessed are you, Simon, of son of Jodah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Maybe, Chris. Maybe. I'm not real sure about that. I, that might be an example. And that is another figure of speech, a mirrorism, which one of our respondents mentioned is, a, is one of them that wasn't on our list. Uh, and there may be some overlap there. A figure of speech, Kent says, where a part is used in the place of a whole. Okay. That, 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 that's my understanding of uh, that as well. Okay. Uh, how, how are we doing on time? Oh, oh we need to get a break. It is break time. <coughs> um, <clears throat> all right. Let's uh, get a uh, break, and when we get back, we'll continue the discussion. We're going to have to go faster, I think, on the other yeah, side. Yeah, I think so, too. Don't get anywhere. We're back right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. He has been married to his college sweetheart for 15 years now. They have two kids, a lovely house in the suburbs, and lots of friends. He's got a good, secure job. Everything looks great, but in recent months, he has been depressed and unhappy. His wife, noticing these changes, has been worried about him. Is he having a midlife crisis? Is there another woman? Finally, she summons up the courage to ask him what's wrong. He assures her that there's no other woman. He would never do such a thing. What's the problem? 
Well, he says, to be totally honest, I just don't love you anymore. Her pain is deep and obvious. But the husband hastens to add, don't worry, I'm not going to leave you and the kids. I'll still be here. I know it would be wrong to get a divorce. I'll fulfill my obligations. We'll keep going on. How do you think the wife will react to that? Do you imagine that she will be relieved? Will she be happy to know that their marriage will continue but only as an outward show? Is that enough? Can fulfilling obligations take the place of I love you? This imaginary account has too many real-life counterparts. We think there are a number of spiritual parallels, too. How many Christians have lost their real love for the Lord? Oh, yes, they continue to go through the motions. They worship regularly and even show up for some of the special things. But it is done out of obligation, not out of genuine love. Will that suffice? Absolutely not. Jesus says, quote, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place. Revelation 2, verses 4 and 5. The Lord desires service based on love. Nothing else will do. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Kate, and I'm three years old, and this is the Personable Bible Study. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. We're back on the program. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. We want you to find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, and uh, at collegeview.com, which you can get to from thevirtualbiblestudy.com. You'll find the link to our sermon broadcast. Kyle, got those looking good there. Yeah. Which, yeah. Two, every, well, three every Sunday. We'll subvert our uh, yeah, Bible studies and Bible classes and morning services, evening services, so and playlists on there if you want to just catch them all in one run. Oh, so, so you're making a, a playlist. Yeah. Oh, we I have, gotta uh, check that out. I haven't seen that, Kyle. Yeah. Now are you doing yeah, it yeah. are you doing like themed playlist or like in our series, like a Genesis, we're doing uh, our Genesis Bible series. It's uh, we've got three videos right now of it and uh, So yeah. if you just wanted to hear all of them <clears> that were in yeah. the Genesis class that we're doing on Sunday mornings, you just hit that playlist. Yeah. Sweet oh. Yeah. See I'm not in that class. I could and but I will be long, before long so I can get caught up yeah. before I get there. Yeah. Well thanks, Kyle. Appreciate you doing that. All right, go ahead. All right, the next figure of speech. We're gonna we gotta go quick, Jake, because I think it's really important for us to talk about these rules of interpretation. So we'll talk real quickly about irony. I think everybody understands irony uh, when what is meant is actually the opposite of what is stated. In Job chapter twelve, verse two, when his miserable counselor friends had come and were accusing him falsely of doing wrong. Job used uh, irony when he said, no doubt ye are the people and wisdom shall die with you. You know, he he didn't mean that literally. He meant just the opposite, actually. He meant you guys don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's irony. What, what do we got? Read our emailers real quick. Yeah, irony. Uh, Chris says, I think the U.S. has this as sarcasm that is unintended. U.K. has as this the stating of something meant to express the exact yeah, opposite. I agree. That's that. We 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 go the same way, Chris, on that. Uh, he references Judges ten fourteen. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. Yeah, okay. so it's sort of ironic. That, yeah, uh, yeah, because the one who stated that didn't believe it at all. Yeah. Meant the opposite. And a figure of speech, Kent says, to dissemble, that is, uh, to say one thing while meaning something else, a type of ridicule which exposes the errors of others by false agreement that is obvi- obvious disagreement. Yeah, I think, okay. I think that's exactly right, okay. Kent. All right. And sarcasm, sarcasm, sarcasm is very close uh, uh, related. A remark uttered with scorn or contempt. A good example of sarcasm was what uh, the people said about Jesus. They and Mark 15, verse 17, beginning, they clothed him with purple and plated a crown of thorns. 
put it about his head and began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they smote him with a reed uh, on the head with a reed and did spit upon him and bowing their knees, worshiped him. Well, they didn't believe he was the king of the Jews. They were using they were they were doing that sarcastically against Jesus as they persecuted him. Uh, Here's what um, uh, Chris says. Irony used as an attack or a taunt. Already you have what you want. First Corinthians eight, four for Sadie references. Already you have become rich. You have become kings and that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings so we might be kings with you. And so it's sort of, I guess, the sarcasm there is that uh, they really aren't kings. He was sort of yeah. maybe being a little sarcastic. sarcastic you know, they, yeah. they were a little bit maybe puffed up in their mind. Um, and then uh, Kent says, a reproachful expression, a satirical remark uttered with some degree of scorn or contempt. All right. Agreed. Agreed. Real quickly, here's one we use a lot. I've, I've used this a million times today. Hyperbole. Uh, okay. Hyperbole, Hyperbole yeah. is an obvious exaggeration for emphasis. If I told you once, I've told you a million times not to do that, Jacob. That's hyperbole. You use an exaggeration for emphasis. Uh, uh, here's here's a good example. I've got other examples. Here's a good example. John 21, verse 25. There are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should all be written down or should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. I don't know about that, John. John wasn't saying, he didn't intend that to be literal. The world could hold uh, uh, an unbelievably infinite almost number of books. Uh, but John's just saying, we got lots of information that's not all written down. Uh, here's what uh, uh, Chris says. An exaggeration for the effect of emphasis. If anyone comes to me, he references Luke fourteen twenty six. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and his brothers and sisters, yes, his, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Exaggeration for emphasis. Exactly right. Okay. All right. And uh, that's what uh, yeah, Kent is going to say here. He says um, a figure of speech that expresses an exaggeration of the meaning intended to be conveyed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the... Uh, uh, the next one is pretty self-explanatory, personification. It gives living characteristics to inanimate objects. Isaiah fifty-five twelve, For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all of the trees of the field shall clap their hands. In other words, the mountains and the trees, inanimate objects, are given uh, human personal characteristics yeah chris uh, says that as well um and he references proverbs 1 of 20 and 21 wisdom calls aloud in the street she raises her voice in the public squares uh as she at the head of the gate uh ahead of the noisy street she cries out in the gateways of the city she makes her speech yeah wisdom is sort of personified exactly good one uh, like that and uh kent says that it's going to be a, tr- a tr- attribution of personal qualities representation of a thing as a person or by human form. Right, exactly. Okay. Next one, paranomasia. Paranomasia is a play on words in which a word is repeated but with a variation in meaning. I like this one from G- Jesus, Matthew. So here's Jesus using this figure of speech. Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. He used like the word. That. He used the word dead two times. But it had a different meaning. Let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. 
Yeah. Uh, and so uh, the same word is repeated, but a variation in meaning. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Chris in the U.K. says, learned this today. It's a posh term for a pun. Most are missed in translation. Like my example, oracle and burden use the same Hebrew word. So the first should be oracle. Uh, when one, okay, Jeremiah 23, verse 33, when one of this people or a prophet or a priest asks you, what is the burden? He says that should be oracle of the Lord, you shall say to them, you are the burden, and I will cast you off, says the Lord. So the word used two times, but in different senses. Okay. okay. All right. Um, and uh, Kent says that uh, it's a play on words. Okay. Uh, yeah, that, that's what we would usually say, just a play on words. If you wanted to sound all official, you could say it's a paranomasia. Yeah. Anthropom- Next one, anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism describe, ascribes human features to God. First uh, Peter three twelve. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous; his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. In other words, we're saying God has eyes and ears. His face. We're, we're ascribing human characteristics to uh, the. Uh, eternal God, That's anthropomorphism. He says, where the Lord who watches over you neither sleeps nor slumbers. Okay. That's what good. Chris says. And um, uh, Kent says it is the ascription of human characteristics in the scriptures, generally the application of human attributes to God. All right. Real quickly, we got to go. We got to hustle here. The next one on the list is paradox. A paradox. Apparently opposite things are said of the same subject. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. How's that? Paul, Paul says, well, when I'm weak in physical matters, in other words, I'm suffering infirmities, uh, persecutions. I'm weak physically, but I'm strong spiritually. Uh, uh, that's a paradox. Apparently, opposite things are said of the same subject. Here, Paul said opposite things about himself. When I'm weak, then I am strong. Uh, Chris says a seemingly contradictory statement that is actually true, um, and language that is seemingly contradictory but yet is true, says Kent. Exactly right. Thank you for those comments. The next one is parable. A parable is a story which something real in life is used as a means of presenting a spiritual moral thought. We, I think we understand parables very yeah, well. That's a pretty, pretty Jesus good. used nearly 50 different parables in his preaching. And, and I think everybody knows about the parables of Jesus. We'll move on. Prolipsis, an anticipation describing something given chronologically before the thing was done. Example. In... John 11, verse 1, there was a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Wait a minute. That's John 11. Mary, Martha, Mary didn't anoint the Lord's feet with ointment until later, recorded in chapter 12. So that's prolipsis. In other words, the, the, the chronology is uh, uh, something is described that's not chronologically in order how about this one and this is interesting uh, chris reference he's, he says it's a figure telling of the future he says abraham's very name father of nations he said that would be a, a I, I think I, I think so and i think this is another one in genesis three twenty. adam called his wife's name eve because she was the mother of all the living she didn't even have any children when he said that 
But she was he named her Eve because she was the mother of all living. Yeah. Prolipsis. All right. Do we get through them all? Uh, yeah. That's all of them. Let's no. get our last break real quick. And when we come back, what we want to do is we want to look at some rules that help us to know when such figurative language is being used so that we don't get thrown off by it. All right. We'll get that on the other side. We'll go to the top of the hour right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Are you sure that the Bible said something, but you just don't know where? Is your salvation based on a passage that you know is in the Bible, but when asked, you couldn't find it? Do you do things in worship, but you couldn't turn to a book, chapter, and verse to show that God wants you to do it? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you may be suffering from BDD, Bible Deficit Disorder, God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The College View Church of Christ is dedicated to overcoming Bible deficit disorder in the metro area by teaching the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. You are invited to attend our worship services on Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. Join us in the fight against Bible deficit disorder. Attend one of our services for a healthy dose of the Bible. That's at the College View Church of Christ. Please don't give in to Bible deficit disorder. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Almost 50% of all marriages in the United States will end in divorce or separation. Researchers estimate that 41% of all first marriages end in divorce, 60% of second marriages end in divorce, and 73% of all third marriages end in divorce. That information is via wflawyers.com. The Word of God says in Malachi 2, verse 16, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program, and we're going to the top of the hour. Now talking about rules for how to uh, allow, uh, interpret the Bible when these figures are used. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go through my list real quick, and then we may see. If Chris, uh, Kent has sent us in some suggestions, so we'll see if we can get to his. We're just going to run short on time, I'm afraid. Uh, so let the context ex- uh, suggest to you whether it's going to be figurative language or not. Right, right. Revelation 1.1, 1, 1, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. Well, there, there's your tip off, right? The very first verse of Revelation says, look for signs, symbolic language, figurative expressions. So the context will very often help us pick up on that. You know, for a lot of people who try to make literal applications of the words in Revelation, and they get all crossed up because of that, and there's some notable false doctrines that are are taught based on misapplication of figurative language in Revelation. If they had observed that simple rule, they could have avoided that. All right. Um, Certainly. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Number two, uh, it's got to be a symbolic or, or, or figurative language when the literal meaning involves a possibility. Go back to that one I mentioned a minute ago, Matthew 8, verse 22. Jesus said, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Well, that can't be literal. That's got to be figurative because dead people, literally dead people, can't bury other people who are literally dead. There's That that has got to be, uh, what was that figure of speech that we said? Uh, uh, oh. Paranomasia. That's paranomasia. Uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, rule number three. It can't be literal. It must be a figure if the literal would make a contradiction. Uh, okay, explain that one. All right. 
So we know that Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed men wants to die, but after this, the judgment. So everybody's going to die. But Jesus said in John 11, verse 26, whoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. So we know men die. And the Bible even says men all face physical death. So when Jesus said, whoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, then that has to be figurative speech because it couldn't be literal or we'd have a contradiction between the two passages. So he's talking spiritual there, not physical. Yeah, you're going to never die spiritually. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Rule number four, when the literal would demand something that is wrong. Uh, All right. So uh, this one, I think Chris suggested Luke 14, beginning verse 26. If a man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children, brethren, sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Well, a, a literal would demand us to do something that we're not supposed to do. We're supposed to love our father and mother, honor our father and mother. Yeah, so, I'd be... so this hate can't be literal, or Jesus would be instructing us to do something that elsewhere is condemned in the Scriptures. So maybe talking a little bit of a hyperbole here. Chris, yeah, right? ex- I think it is. Exactly. Okay. All right. Next rule, rule number five. When the Scripture actually says it's a figure... In John chapter 2, verse 18, the Jews said to him, What sign showest thou us, seeing thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. The text itself says he was using figurative language there. He didn't mean the literal temple in Jerusalem. He was talking about the temple of his body. But the the text actually tells us. That that's what he was doing. All right. The Jews really misunderstood that, and they tried to use it against him later, but it was a figure of speech. Now, that may not, and they may not have, they did, obviously didn't have the benefit of the text. John's explanation. But we do, as we yeah. read it, yeah. it says it's a, he's talking in figurative language. We can understand that. Yeah. Okay. Um, next rule. When the definite is put for the indefinite. Uh, so remember when Peter asked, Jesus, Lord, how oft shall, this is Matthew 18, beginning verse 21. Peter said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him until seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. So notice, Jesus actually gave him a definite number. Jesus gave him the number 490. You should forgive your brother 490 times. That's a, that's, that was a definite number, but it was intended to be indefinite. It was a figure. It was a figure of speech. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I was thinking about back to that uh, John 2 where Jesus said, uh, you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. The, the other point, they didn't have the benefit of the text explaining that it was figurative. But they, they should have used the same reasoning that you gave when the literal meaning involves an impossibility. Yeah. They, okay. it, was, it was impossible. They, must, they, they should have said, he's got to be. There's something There's you, something behind what he's saying. It, that's got to be a figure of speech because nobody could build this building. But they didn't want to understand yeah, it, yeah. and so they didn't apply that yeah. rule. Okay. Next rule. When something is said in mockery, know that it's it's figurative. Uh, when Elijah was with uh, in the contest with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, First Kings eighteen verse twenty seven came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, "Cry aloud, for he is a god." Notice he said, "Cry to Baal, cry aloud, for he is a god." Either he is talking, or he's pursuing, or he's in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be wakened. Well. Elijah was not acknowledging Baal as a god. That was mockery. And mm-hmm. so you couldn't say, well, there, 
Elijah acknowledged that Baal was a god. No, that's a figure of speech. It, it was mockery or sarcasm. Okay. All right. Uh, and then my last rule is use common sense. To, and it just, just good common sense will let you know a lot of times whether figurative language is being employed. An example, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 2. Paul said, I have fed you with milk and not meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither are you yet Neither yet now are you able. Well, Paul wasn't feeding them milk and meat. He's using those as figures to represent the easy teaching of the gospel message versus some of the more complex messages of the gospel. Common sense helps us know Paul wasn't talking about literal milk and meat there. Kent's got some good ones here, um, and uh, we can comment on those, and we can take some other comments from our listeners here. Let the author give his own interpretation. Exactly right. You know, some people will just ignore the interpretation that is given in the text to apply some far-off meaning of uh, interpretation of some figurative language. Um, so look at the what the author says there. Yeah, exactly. And let him make his own interpretation. Uh, figurative language must agree with both general and specific truth. Yeah. Um, for instance, and this I don't know if this is necessarily what Ken had in mind, but in... Revelation chapter 20, John says, I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on that dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and he bound him a thousand years. Well, if you think about that, uh, that's that's got to be figurative because in gen- general truth is you couldn't possibly have a bottomless pit. Truth says no matter how deep the hole is there's a bottom in it yeah and so when when john described a bottomless pit well truth indicates that has to be figurative it couldn't be literal in truth there could never be a bottomless pit yep um he says compare figurative and literal accounts of the same thing Okay, and sometimes we have that. Sometimes things are st- uh, in diff- maybe in different texts that are dealing with the same subject matter. One may be approaching it figuratively, and another text might be approaching it literally, and we can compare. Note the resemblance of the things compared. Okay, and, and that goes to some of those things like simile, similitude, yeah. metaphor, right. allegory. Okay, yeah. certainly. I mean, we don't want to get so wrapped up in this that we don't that we lose the meaning, right? I mean, yeah, there's some, there's some, I had some one. Kind of, uh, Jesus said uh, uh, in one place, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Yeah. Well, th- that was figurative speech. And so we don't tell them that's figurative speech. We don't have to pay attention to it. No, but we, but so we should be as wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves. Yeah. Well, we understand in the animal world, those two creatures, and then make the application to ourselves. Right. So he says, note, uh, note the resemblance of the things compared. Compare with the facts of history. All right. So we might know that some things are figurative because history. In other words, some of the prophecies, this might be especially helpful. You know, there's a lot of figurative language in some of the prophecies of the Old Testament. We can compare those prophecies to historical events and see, well, this was a figure of speech used to describe what actually came to pass in the history of the Israelites or whatever. Uh, There must not be a contradiction with any inspired interpretation or application of the language. That's right. In other words, whatever meaning, this is just a a very critical 
fundamental principle of biblical interpretation. You cannot put a meaning on one passage that necessarily forces a contradiction with another passage. Okay. Uh, do not demand too many points of analogy. Yeah. Uh, and I would say that's also true of parables. You know, don't, don't try to... Try, don't try to make a point out of every detail in a parable, for instance. You get, you'll get uh, crossed up. Figures are not always used with the same meaning or definition. Okay, so the same figure might be used in a different place. That meant a whole different something else. Okay. Parables may explain parables. Okay. Type and antitype are frequently both in view at the same time. Yeah, you know, we did a, we did a, a virtual Bible study a while back on... Types and antitypes. That's really an important kind of Bible study and interpretation of it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, I appreciate those comments from Kent. Chris, thank you for your comments as well and uh, for the listeners in the chat room. A good discussion. Important, just a pretty basic discussion about how to understand figurative language as we're reading our Bibles. Yeah. And I think that I think it's valuable for us to realize and not be surprised. The Bible uses figurative language. It uses figures of speech just like we do. That's how humans communicate, and God used those methodologies to communicate to us. Kyle, any comments from your side of the board tonight? No, it's good. I think, uh, like our old commercial, uh, Bible study your Bibles. That's this. There are so many lessons, and there are hyperboles and there are similes. Just there's, we use everyday words and everyday, you know, interpretations of, you know, studying our Bibles. So just make sure we're studying our Bibles, and we can pick up on all of these. Uh, figures of speech exactly right exactly right kyle's sharp as a tack on running that video back there yeah he is yeah slick he's sharp he he is uh uh oh i'm trying to you got the best one yeah he's he's sharp as a tack uh uh um he's quick as a cat oh yeah that's a that's a simile he's if only i was quick as a cat in real life (laughs) (laughs) all right Thanks, Kyle, for being here tonight. There you go. Thank you. Dad, thanks for the discussion. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for joining us on the program and hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.